with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for being with us on this. Looks like a bit of a dreary Tuesday morning so far with a little bit of snow turning into rain today. Very excited today for my guest. A little bit of disclosure, I've been wearing um, corrective eyewear from probably the time I was four years old. And because of that, I am definitely quite passionate when it comes to eye health and vision health. So today I have Marion Roche, Dr. Marion Roche, ophthalmologist here in Prince George. And we're going to talk about lots of really amazing things to do with prevention and identifying vision problems. Welcome, Marion. It's so glad to have you here. Oh, thank you, Sandra. I'm excited too. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we've talked over the, um, over the years that I've known you about um, how I felt about vision health. So I'm really happy that you're here to basically um, have people hear from an expert about um, often what I think is something that we take for granted, and that is our vision, ironically. It's so, it's so important, but I think we do take it for granted. Yes, I, think, I believe so too, because uh, in my experience, there's people never had an eye exam. They sometimes present with a, a new acute visual problem that was actually ongoing, like they had undetected glaucoma or a cataract or children born with a congenital cataract. So from all ages of life and eye health, uh, the Canadian Board of, um, uh, Con- of Canada, the Conference Board of Canada had just released a, a report in October of this year saying one in six Canadians are living with one of four major eye diseases, like cataracts, macular degeneration, diabetes, glaucoma. And eye injuries is up there as well. So, wow. And, you know, all walks of life, all ages can present with a eye disease. Where did your passion for um, following a career in vision health come from? Did, was this something that you thought about as a young girl that you wanted to pursue this? Well, it didn't. Uh, didn't occur to me as a young girl, but my younger sister was very nearsighted, and she had always get to go to the ophthalmologist, who is a very nice man, Dr. <laughs> Ashen Regina, and he would get, have pictures on the walls, and my my sister just loved going to see him, but I never got to go to the office. We'd all go to the dentist, the doctor together, saying, what's she do with this ophthalmologist? How come I don't get to go? Right. And then she had her glasses, and she had to have patching therapy. She had a uh, her left eye was uh, didn't see as well as her right, so she had to have patching of her eye full-time initially, so she'd go to school with her glasses and her eye patch. And so, you know, in some ways you felt like, oh, she's got something serious, like she's six years old. Right. And when we'd get ready at night, she'd have her glasses off washing her face. And I say, I'd say, where can you see me? So mm-hmm. I'd back up, and she goes, well, now you're blurry. Okay. And... In my young mind, I was thinking, oh boy, like I, I didn't understand what blurred vision was. So that was sort of in the, the background. And then in medical school, you know, I liked a lot of different uh, subspecialties like pediatrics, um, obstetrics, internal medicine. Uh, but I'd keep coming back to the eye. I'd say, whoa, wow, that's quite fascinating. We'd get these lectures or histology and then just clinical uh, talks about glaucoma and cataracts, but I keep going, oh, it's just the eye, it's just the eye, there's so much more to the body. Uh, and then when I was able to go on a medical elective, I had chosen radiology, some um, uh, social and preventative health care in Fiji, 
as well as ophthalmology. And when I did ophthalmology, I'm a very visual learner. Yeah. So it was just astounding the eye disease we saw and what interventions they were doing. So I think that's when it hooked hooked me that, yeah, this is something I think I want to pursue and apply for. It's very competitive to get in. Oh, okay. Like once you're trained, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, there's not as many training positions as compared to others, although that's okay. better. I think they're trying to improve in Canada. So you would have done your full medical yes. degree. And then how many more years? Yeah, is it another then, eight? Then I did like an internship and... And then I did four years of ophthalmology. I did three years in general ophthalmology. And then I did a subspecialty year in the States, in Atlanta, Georgia, just in glaucoma. So you saw very severe advanced right. tertiary care glaucoma. So, so that's comes, my subspecialty <laughs> So when it comes to things all about eyeballs, you definitely know what you're talking about. Well, I hope so. I try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get right at it. One thing I wanted to start with, and I thought maybe we could do it um, a bit chronologically yes. and think about um, youth. Like I was saying, I, I believe I was kindergarten when I was first identified to wear glasses. And that seemed to be a little bit of the norm. But now you see like babies wearing glasses. So can you talk about like, how do you even identify with that young of a child that they're suffering from some type of a vision issue? Yeah, so when a baby's born, even if they're full term, uh, the family doctor, the pediatrician involved with the delivery will do a new baby check in the first, you know, two to three days or first day. Where they, they're not just counting the fingers and toes and checking the hips. They'll also check the pupils of the eye, look at the eye, see do they look symmetrical, and look with an ophthalmoscope, see if they have a red reflex to make sure the media of the eye looks clear. Because some babies are born with congenital cataracts, some can have congenital glaucoma where their cornea is hazy, and some can have primary hyperplastic vitreous, So, which I've seen a case of that in my, um, in my practice here. So there's some things right from birth and that's where we rely on the family doctor and the pediatrician to pick up, and they send to us. And uh, and then so would that be something then that you that there's an intervention right away for those yeah, those things we'll that you send, talked about? Uh, there's pediatric ophthalmologists that will subspecialize in looking at cataracts or hyperplastic vitreous or congenital glaucoma treatment okay. surgical intervention. So there's that babies born with congenital diseases. Um, and then there's babies, say premature babies, that they're born premature and some of them are so young or uh, small body weight, under 1,500 grams, they're more at risk of retinopathy of prematurity. So then the pediatrician or the neonatologist will have ophthalmologist examine the babies to look at the retina mm -hmm. because the baby's retina is still developing. So we're looking for um, changes in the retina that w could need treatment with laser or um, avastin injections. Wow. So there's that with premature babies. And there's preemies that don't develop the retinopathy of prematurity, but they can be more at risk of nearsightedness right. and strabismus, which means a misalignment of the eyes. So an eye can be turning in or outward. Right. So those babies need to be watched and is that, is that really um, identifying them that young gives them a better chance of um, completely alleviating those, those afflictions? Well, um, identifying, yeah, you can see if a, say with retinopathy prematurity, if they need intervention or it's going to regress on their own. So you're carefully monitoring. Mm -hmm. And then babies that don't develop that, but they're more at risk of needing glasses right. to see, then they're in your radar. 
And then there's babies that or children as they develop their farsightedness farsighted and some of them their eyes will start crossing in say at the age of two years of age two to three and the mom usually it's the mom or the father mom or dad that will identify that they thought they saw the baby's eye turning in okay because sometimes they'll bring it to the optometrist or the family doctor to say, look, I think my baby's eyes turn in and doctor will be looking, but the baby's nice and awake and alert and right. may not demonstrate. So when a parent is saying you, you have to be, you know, a little bit suspicious and look. Right. And usually those children that present like that, um, they're turning in too much at near and one eye's crossing in. And sometimes it's a specific eye. Sometimes they'll alternate. But sometimes it's one eye turning in, and that's at risk of that the brain shutting that vision to that eye off. Okay. And then it can develop what's called an amblyopic eye, or lazy eye that is not seen normally. So it's not necessarily um, a muscle issue, then. This is actually a brain talking to the eye type of a situation? Yeah, it's sort of an eye and muscle. Like okay. There's an overaction of the muscles, but the brain will doesn't want to see double. Right. So it'll say, well, let's just turn off this eye. Because the double vision confuses the yes, brain. Yes. So then there's uh, young children that will need glasses to get them to relax, to treat their farsightedness so they relax that convergence stimulation. To, and then some children will still overstimulate at near, so then they have bifocals in their eyes for the near to relax them. And then some children, if that's not, you know, the, um, if it's only partially treated but some of it is still turning, then you'll do a surgical to align wow. them. Then there's some children that don't, aren't as farsighted, but they have a congenital interning, they need surgery, or an outturning. Some children will have a big outturning of their eye. When you start going into school age, I know that even when my son was that age, we were kind of told as parents or maybe even school teachers that you kind of watch for those squinting mannerisms yes. and things to identify that the actual just regular vision problems yeah, as so far as blurring and that yeah, type of so thing? Yeah, so things that they talk about is squinting. Um, maybe they seem like they don't like looking up close at activities. You know, is that a, a visual problem or is that, you know, attention deficit? Sometimes you have to look at those two different things if they just don't like to read, don't like to do near activities. Uh, turning their head, sometimes they can have an, uh, a muscle eye misalignment that they prefer a certain head position to see like to see the blackboard or to yeah. see something on their sometimes desk. it's astigmatism they're turning and squinting with nearsightedness and sometimes it's the eyes um see best when you're in a certain head position or a head tilt there's some children mm. they have a, a inferior oblique and they'll have a little head tilt to their uh, to their shoulder so there's things like that you look for, like say, why are they always tilting their head? What can that lead to as far as, um, I, I guess I would would assume that when you have a child that maybe is having a hard time seeing the blackboard, they're maybe going to just zone out. Yes. And I, I think then their whole learning decreases. So you want to optimize visually so they stay stimulated that they're learning and and progressing in their in their school. I remember when my son got glasses, and I think it was probably around, I think it was grade three. Okay. And one thing that the eye doctor had said was to um, wear the glasses looking at the chalkboard, but try to remove them when you're doing your close work. As someone that's worn glasses from the time I was maybe four, 
I don't remember ever hearing that before. We were always told, keep your glasses on, don't take them off. Have things changed in regard to that? Or is that just... They're looking at myopic progression in children. So they're trying to look at what, when you're looking up closer, you have to um, also look through the glasses that are set for distance. So then you're causing more accommodation in your eye, more focusing, Mm. and I think there's risks for that for the progression of nearsightedness. And also near tasks, and like we talk talk about computers and kids doing so much that there's been a much higher incidence of nearsightedness. And especially... Uh, in South Asian populations, like there's big studies in Taiwan and Hong Kong and China looking at ways to try and decrease the amount of the progression of nearsightedness. So they look at atropine drops, trying to relax drops, bifocals for near, okay. under correction for near, taking the glasses off. Um, they and you wouldn't normally think that for someone, you think of bifocals as being something that you're going to put with an older person, yes. not a child. Yeah, so they're trying to. Decrease the uh, stimulation that can cause progression in the nearsightedness. And they also look at those uh, contact lenses as orthokeratology, but it's still being looked at. Like some of that is ongoing studies because there's risk to wearing contact lenses overnight, especially in children, like keratitis infections that can. I had one of those. I actually had one of those really nasty one when I was in grade 11. Okay, didn't yeah. want to take my contacts out. They yeah. weren't the oxygen permeables. It was an awful story. A week on the couch, had to wear eye patches. It was very scary. Yes. And when we, I think maybe that's part of the reason why I am very passionate about vision is because, you know, it was, it was definitely scary when you can't see for a week and you're, you know, you're putting ointments in your eyes and patches. And the other thing I did hear as well about contacts, which again was now and not when I was wearing them, that um, you can increase your prescription by wearing, as a teenager, if you're wearing contacts all the time. Yes? Well, it, yeah, it's, it's the same as wearing, depending on how much nearsightedness, if you're a low, low myope, just needing more for correction. But if you're wearing them at near, you can be stimulating this progression of myopia. Right. So same kind of thing if you're wearing full-time contacts. So sometimes now they have contacts with... Uh, progressives in them as well they're trying so there's all sorts of studies ongoing trying to look at how they can slow down the progression and and children that are at risk of it progressing well that's what's so amazing about science is that it's an ongoing thing and we just keep learning about stuff yeah I think you dovetailed perfectly into uh, screen time as we as we move forward from the children and start going into that teen type of age um just watching that, you know, should a, should a teenager, if they are wearing glasses, if they are going to be spending time on, say, their tablet or on their phone, should the glasses come off? I know I take mine yeah. off when I'm using mine. Yes. It, I don't, yes. I can't really seem to make it make sense if I have my glasses on when I have the thing yeah. that close. Yeah, because if you have some nearsightedness that you're seeing fine at, at near, uh, that's fine to take them off. And then they, there's also the recommended 20-20-20 rule. Mm-hmm. It's every 20 minutes stop reading or looking at the computer or your phone and look out at 20 feet or more, look Mm -hmm. out the window for at least 20 seconds. And my oldest son actually heard it as the 30 second rule or something. So I thought, oh, that's great. At least he had heard about that himself. So try to encourage, you know, everybody when we're doing near tasks, Mm -hmm. but especially in the youth now and 
young children, there's so much electronics. And actually, a lot of the recommendation at really early age, like a child two years and under, they just talk about just FaceTiming and not looking at devices because they talk about ADD, uh, attention deficit disorder being eight times higher in young exposure to children. So wow. not just, I'm not talking visual problems, yeah. but um, yeah. developmental. And then trying to limit things, how many hours, you know, one or Definitely. two hours. So hard most. right now because with that teen group specifically, I mean, when we're talking about when we were not going to, kids weren't going to school and they were doing all their studies at home. So now you, you're actually increasing it by having Zoom and all of this work that's being done on the computer. Yes. And then when they do have their spare time, they're yes. still on a computer. Yes. It's really and, difficult. And university online. So I'm trying, like my youngest child, my daughter's doing university online. Same with my son, Stephen. And so I'm trying to encourage them to take their breaks, get outside. There's also studies looking at nearsightedness that if you add an f- extra 40 minutes of outdoor activity can decrease the rates of nearsightedness. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. All right, when we come and back, I want to talk a little bit more about screen time um, with, with youth and teens, and then we'll start talking maybe a little bit more about adults and seniors. Yes, excellent. Do you like a good bluegrass song? Enjoying hearing music from the likes of Bill Monroe, Rhonda Vincent, and the Lakeside Ramblers? Then tune in to Back Porch Pickens Sunday evenings at 5 on 93.1 CFIS-FM for an hour of great bluegrass old and new. I'm Corey Walker, and I'm thrilled to take you on a musical journey each week as we explore the world of North American bluegrass. Catch Back Porch Pickens Sunday nights at 5 only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Hello from Tops and Bottoms. We are now seeing our clients by appointment only. Please wear your mask too since the fitting will not allow for much social distance. To make an appointment, please visit our website topsandbottoms.ca or Google us and find the book link. You can also call the store at 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms at the corner of 2nd and Victoria. Prince George's newest seniors community is waiting for you at 1444 20th Avenue. Riverbend Manor offers a safe, affordable, and centrally located rental housing option. Rent is based on your income and includes three daily meals, all of your utilities, housekeeping, and much more. Riverbend has a jam-packed weekly calendar of activities to fit both active and passive lifestyles. Part of Prince George's leading seniors community, Riverbend Manor. Call 250-596-8097 to book your tour today. Forecast for Environment Canada. Periods of wet snow mixed with rain this morning, then cloudy with a 60% chance of showers. South winds 30, gusting to 50, becoming light this afternoon and a high of 2. For tonight, partly cloudy, a 40% chance of flurries late in the evening. Wind up to 15K, a low of minus 4. Sunny on Wednesday with a high of 1. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Dr. Marion Roche is with us, an ophthalmologist here in Prince George, and we're talking about all things vision. Talked a lot about um, very young children moved into some youth-based or teen-based, and we were discussing um, screen time. And I don't even think that's youth-based. Of course, I know I use my phone a lot. Um, We're working off of our phones, all that type of thing. And I think a lot of us seem to have it attached to our hip, and that goes right up until bedtime. What are some of the risks um, associated with that? Well, they talk... So there's... A couple. One is just eye strain itself. Uh, um, when we're not blinking enough and our eyes can 
can feel uh, dry and irritated, so we need some artificial tears, or just consciously trying to blink more. And some of the recommendations, if we are using uh, computers a lot, to sit an arm's length away, about 25 inches from the computer, position the screen so you're gazing slightly downward, mm -hmm. reduce the screen glare if you're getting a lot of that with a matte screen filter if needed, using tears, adjusting the room lighting, increasing the contrast on the screen to reduce the eye strain and giving your eyes a break to that 20, 20, 20, right. or if you want to use a 30, 30, 30, looking out just, you know, and even going for a walk or something too in between or just giving our eyes a break. What about your phone next to your bedside table? Yeah, then we talk about <laughs> before bed. Um, it's recommended in the two to three hours before our bedtime to start limiting how much. And that's due to the blue light from devices. Now, the blue light itself is not harmful to the eyes. It doesn't cause disease. There's no phototoxic damage. But it can interrupt our circadian rhythm, our, our day and night sleeping rhythms of our bodies. So then they talk about putting um, our phones or computers on a night mode mm -hmm. where we have a black background with white print. Or if it's in a lighter mode, it shifts uh, some of the colors more to the red or pink spectrum instead of the blue spectrum of a light. So there's some of the recommendations then. Okay. Too. So just to be, I think, more conscious. And especially, I think in teens and youth, they tend to want to stay up late already. Yeah. So if they're on their devices staring at yeah, it. Yeah, stimulating, right? Stimulating yeah. themselves more and kind of disrupting that natural circadian rhythm. Uh, as an adult, I would say that, you know... Um, we, when we're young, we have our parents and they make all those lovely appointments for us. And, you know, we go to our dentist and we go to our eye doctors and all the rest of it. As we get to be older, um, unless you're someone, let's say, that has naturally needs to go to an, um, an eye doctor to see them for prescriptions because you do have a vision issue. I wonder how many times or how often a healthy adult with no vision issues, no prescription issues, should go and see an eye doctor. Maybe once they're, let's say, when they're an adult in their 30s and 40s. Yeah, some of the guidelines that I've read about like from the American Academy of Ophthalmology that they've published is at least once in your 20s, twice in your 30s, and if you've never had an eye exam, at least by age 40 to have a baseline exam, just have someone, an optometrist, look into your eyes, do a dilated exam just to check your eye pressure, check your vision, because there can be diseases undetected that you don't know about, or your pressure can be elevated for a risk for glaucoma, or you could already have established glaucoma and you you have no idea because it's a silent disease. You don't feel anything. You see, well, it's like blood pressure. You don't know your blood right. pressure is high unless someone checks it. Interesting stat. We talked about this, about when you're talking about those preventative things that um, someone can see, a doctor can see when they look in your eyes, like the, the eyes are the window to your health type of a thing. Yes. So 75% of diseases can be prevented um, just if you knew about them like there so you can actually change that course yeah so you know sometimes some people have an early cataract that they're getting blurred vision they can have a surgical intervention some people have glaucoma and if they if it keeps going along that course and glaucoma is a group of diseases that damage the optic nerve and gradual cause gradual loss of vision and blindness potential blindness so if you don't know you're at risk family history or you're severely nearsighted or diabetic um, or if your angles are uh, narrow, or if you have open angle, or you have pigment dispersion. There's lots of subgroups of glaucoma. You won't know you have any of that because you don't feel anything. You don't see anything till it's too late. 
So some just by checking your pressure, looking at the optic nerve, looking at the drainage system of the eye, looking at the iris or their transillumination defects, you know, are you at risk? Because um, some people that are nearsighted can have pigment dispersion and be young people and don't know that their pressure is up at 40. Right. Um, so there's so there's preventative or to get the pressure down to lower uh, levels to um, prevent or stop the progression of the optic nerve damage. And then there's people that can have macular degeneration. You can see some drusen in their eyes. Or there's hypertensive retinopathy, people with high blood pressure. So they've got um, thickening of their arteries, just like we can get hardening of our Mm -hmm. arteries of our heart or carotid arteries or elsewhere. And then there's people with diabetes, too. You can have diabetic retinopathy. So lots of things Um, can be be seen in that. Um, I do have a friend that probably... I guess maybe it was almost fortunate in the fact that they were just going for a routine prescription check and his retina was detaching. Yes. But because they caught it, he was, they saved it. Yes. But if they wouldn't have saved it, that's, yes, it's an end game, isn't it? So there's people I get referred fairly often from optometrists. A person's in for a routine exam and they'll find a retinal tear, may have a cuff of fluid around it so we can treat with a laser to help seal that off. Um, or they've got lattice degeneration that has some holes in that may need laser uh, treatment for that. So sometimes just having an exam, you don't know, or you've had a past injury, you know, say a soccer ball hits you, but, right. you know, some people may have a giant retinal tear and need, need a treatment for that with laser and sometimes surgical intervention as well. So there's, uh, and then sometimes people can have a systemic illness, can have an inflammatory disease and like sarcoidosis, and they may have changes inside their eye that they were unaware of and may have not had symptoms, or it can be present as visual symptoms and then uh, lead to systemic investigation and diagnosing a systemic disease. What's one of the uh, most prevalent things that you deal with as an ophthalmologist when it comes to the adult sect of the population Yeah, I would here. say, well, my subspecialty is glaucoma, so I get lots of referrals for that, and macular degeneration, and then there, unfortunately, some of my patients have both in severe form, um, so their vision can be very limited, because glaucoma can affect the more mid-periphery vision, and macular degeneration will affect uh, right the central vision, where our macula are best area of vision, where our cones are, where we get the fine detail, so some patients have both, it can be very devastating. Do you deal much with eye traumas? Uh, we'll, we're especially on call, yeah. we do. So that's improved over the years with Workman's Compensation Board and having rules and regulations. But unfortunately, sometimes you see people not wearing their protective eyewear, safety glasses, Okay, sometimes at home. So um, something's getting embedded in their eye or something yeah, flies or in their eye. Yeah, you know, grinding metal, metallic foreign body entering their eye, uh, hammering, um, and a metal particle goes in. Sometimes I've seen people work under their cars and a plier hits their eye. Oh, gosh. I've seen people um, using the back of a hammer to pry a window open, decide to take no. their glasses off and the plier <laughs> oh, went in no. their eye. Sometimes wow. being punched, abuse. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, assault. So you're seeing I've, a lot. Yeah. So un- un- unfortunately, some... Uh, uh, some severe traumas where they have a ruptured globe. It's a very poor prognosis, but you try your best yeah. to try and save the eye. But uh, 
Well, when we come back, we are going to get back on track and start talking a little bit more about macular degeneration and some of the things that you're seeing in our aging population. Excellent. Most everyone knows not to drink and drive, and that even small amounts of alcohol can be risky. But do we really understand that drinking small amounts of alcohol during the pregnancy can be harmful for our growing baby, even in those early weeks before the pregnancy has been confirmed? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FASD, is a lifelong disability that affects the brain and body of people who were exposed to alcohol in the womb. If you are pregnant or planning to be, please don't drink. There is no known safe time, safe type, or safe amount. We encourage you to see what's happening in your community to help reduce both the impact and the incidence of prenatal alcohol exposure. To learn more, please contact us at healthnexus.ca. Visit the bilingual FASD Ontario website or check out Canada's FASD Research Network. Spread the word. It's everyone's responsibility to help make pregnancies as healthy as they can be. Due to the COVID pandemic, the Grizzly Bear Foundation is unable to host their annual gala fundraiser. This has created a large shortfall of funds for the organization. To help make up the difference, the Grizzly Bear Foundation is asking supporters to donate the money they may have spent on a gala ticket. $250 will go a long way to help their work in preserving and protecting grizzlies. Make your donation today through the Support Us drop-down menu at grizzlybearfoundation.com. The PGSO has unveiled its 50th anniversary fall season. Bring Back the Joy of Live Music includes four concerts in the new ballroom of the Prestige Treasure Cove Resort with a 50-ticket limit at each of four concert weekend performances. A kinder concert will feature two afternoon performances on December 5th. Tickets are available online, at the PGSO office, or by phone. Full details are available at pgso.com. The Prince George Symphony Orchestra's 50th anniversary fall season. Bring back the joy of live music. The Heart Pioneer Centre is open for takeout lunch. Call the centre for menu details and place your orders between 9 and 1 the day before. Your $6 lunch includes a soup or salad. Don't miss this year's Christmas turkey dinner, Thursday, December 3rd. For just $10, you get turkey with all the trimmings, plus salad and dessert. Pre-order deadline is at noon Friday. For the Heart Pioneer Center's takeout lunch, call 962-6712 between 9 and 1. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. After talking about vision health in children and in teens and a little bit with adults, we've made our way to seniors, which is probably one of the larger populations like we talked about aging people are living longer we're aging longer or are progressing through that more so we're going to see more of these vision problems with that yes the incidence as we all get older goes up for all these diseases glaucoma macular degeneration cataracts so we find uh, you know, a higher incidence and prevalence of these diseases. So cataracts are pretty, I mean, I think about a cataract and I think that's something that you probably see. It's one of those visual cues that you get that you need to go and get some help with, not necessarily these other ones. No, yeah, macular degeneration, they can have some if it's more of a sudden onset. Macular degeneration, there's two forms, the dry and the wet. Now Mm. about 80 to 90% have a dry form where we get these lipoprotein deposits called drusen in our macula. Now, just having drusen doesn't mean you're gonna that it's already causing problems. But as larger drusen as they accumulate, they can cause loss of the photoreceptors and the other cells in our retina. We have about ten layers of cells, so it can 
cause them to die, and then your brain doesn't see in that area. Um, and that can be slowly, it can be progressive where it just keeps degenerative, kind of like osteoarthritis has a degenerative arthritis. Then there's the wet type, and about 10% uh, of, of individuals where it presents quite suddenly, they get a growth of blood vessels that grow from underneath the retina, from the choroid into the retina, and they can cause hemorrhage, leaking of fluid, and if left untreated, scarring, so then you can be left with a big scar right in your central vision area. So the way when they've looked at treating, there's no treatment for dry, but we can try and slow the progression, and there's big studies, the ARIDS 1 and 2 trials, first the first one in 1990, we'll hear about these vitamins people can take. And they're in higher um, levels of vitamin, of vitamin uh, E and C, zinc, copper, and they were and initially beta carotene. So in the first study, they were looking at that. Can that help macular degeneration in cataracts? Didn't seem to do anything for cataracts, but macular degeneration it, it uh, decreased by 25% or 25% had less progression of going from intermediate to advanced okay. macular degeneration. Um, so some significant findings. And when they did the ARIDS too, they said, well, let's add these carotenoids from plants that are found in the eye, the lutein and the zeaxanthin. Um, and we, uh, in mammals, we have to eat the, have it from a plant diet to get those. And so they added that, and they also added some omega-3s. Omega-3s didn't make much of a difference for macular degeneration, but these carotenoids did. And they took out the beta carotene in the first ARIDS because beta carotene in smokers um, taking these had an increased risk of lung cancer. So oh. they got rid of those. Okay. But now with, um, with these higher level vitamins with the lutein and zeaxanthin uh, has shown for people with intermediate to advanced to decrease the progression. Now people that just have a family history or early, it didn't show a benefit. So... So people that say there's a family history, but you don't have it, would say, well, you could take the vitamins that are lesser dose, but have the, like, maybe just a regular everyday vitamin with the, uh, with the carotenoids in them, the lutein. Right. Uh, to, you know, just to boost that up. And also with your diet, eating vegetables of color, like dark, leafy kale, spinach, reds, you know, uh, oranges. Like purples. a carrot? Yeah. <laughs> so carrots, I guess that peppers. was true, eat your carrots? Yes, exactly. And that has vitamin A in it too that's used in the retina. Um, so just trying to really balance your diet. And people that are at risk with intermediate macular degeneration, it seems like diet alone, if you're eating that, may not be enough that these higher levels of uh, minerals and vitamins to help slow the progression. So I have seen quite a bit of, um, you know, on the shelves or even ads for the lutein as yes. far as a, as a supplement. Yeah. So if someone was to, you know, maybe they don't have the best diet in the world and they're not able to or don't want to eat all these, would that actually be a benefit? I mean, well, there's I think, a whole, yeah, if they're that? not going to get it in their diet, then they should consider they should. just supplementing um, with the lutein. Like the, we have to always be careful with the higher the zinc and copper and um, your vitamin um, C and A, I mean C and E, that um, it sometimes can interfere with other medications. And right. high levels of vitamin E can cause some 
blood thinning and right. interact with anticoagulants. So now, probably check as well before you so start. check with your pharmacy too. Now the bleeding with the vitamin E is more at 1,500 international units, but in these ARIDS vitamins, it's at 400 international units. It didn't show any bleeding, but just sometimes just, you know, if you're on a lot of medications as a, as, um, a senior, just check with your pharmacist to see if there's any interactions. Right. Re- really good advice on that. Yeah. Um, prevention being a tool, then, what other kind of things can people do as we wrap up about making sure that they're keeping, um, making sure they're getting in, I think, for regular appointments? Yes. And, that, and in BC, after the age of 65, it's covered by MSP to get a baseline exam. There Sometimes there's some extra additional costs at the optometrist, but at least getting in you know, or at least have your family doctor check your vision on an eye chart. Um, But it'd be recommended to get a full eye exam just to detect some of these diseases. Mm -hmm. And then lifestyle changes, you know, trying to eat a healthy diet. Uh, If you're a smoker, try to uh, quit smoking or cut it down Mm -hmm. because smoking is a big risk factor. Heart disease, increased body mass index. So try and get at a healthy weight, exercise, um, Caucasians, we, we are at a higher risk of macular degeneration. So uh, I think all individuals should wear ultraviolet protection and Okay, hats, so sunglasses. Sunglasses and hats. Okay. Um, so, and, and just trying to keep our heart, heart, heart disease, hypertension have a link as well. So just trying to keep over well, overall healthy lifestyle choices. Awesome. Thank you so much for oh, coming thank in. Thank you so much. It was a, a great time. Thank you, Sandra. Be sure to shop local this holiday season. If you're seen shopping local in preparation for the holidays, you could be visited by one of the Prince George Chamber's hashtag holiday PG elves. The Chamber will also be announcing some great prizes that you could qualify for just by doing your shopping locally. Check the Chamber's website at pgchamber.bc.ca or their social media pages through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Shop local, get rewarded with hashtag holiday PG from your Chamber of Commerce this holiday season. The Maker Lab at Two Rivers Gallery has reopened. If you're wanting to attend with a group of more than four people, you're asked to call ahead as there is limited seating. You're also asked to call ahead if you're booking time with a weaver or wood turner or working on the laser cutter and engraver or 3 day printer. To book your space or time, call Two Rivers Gallery at 250-614-7800. The Maker Lab, now open at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. In Your Own Time by Wendy Framps is still on in the feature gallery at Studio 2880. Everyone is welcome to check out this stunning collection of pieces from one of our community's top artists. COVID-19 safety protocols are in place. You're asked to wear a mask and to please sanitize your hands before attending. In Your Own Time from Wendy Framst, on through December 15th in the Studio 2880 Feature Gallery, open Tuesday through Friday from 11 to 5 at 2880 15th Avenue. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy, the 60% chance of rain or wet flurries this morning. Periods of rain this afternoon, wind from the south at 30K gusting to 50, a high of 3. Tonight, mainly cloudy, the 40% chance of flurries, wind up to 15, a low of minus 4 with a wind chill to minus 9. On Wednesday, mainly cloudy. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
Well, I think we learned an awful lot from Dr. Marion Rowe. She's such a lovely woman, a great friend, and I'm really glad that she came by and filled us in on all of the things that we can do to uh, prevent maybe some eye concerns and to make sure that people get in to get their regular appointments to check their vision. Um, and also, you were saying, Wayne, that... Um, that you've end up, ended up having some issues and stuff with your vision over the years. So definitely, it's something to check out. I have. I had cataracts in both eyes. Wow. How old were you when that happened? Uh, just a couple of years ago. So wow. 56. Yeah. So when what what made you discover that that was happening? Could you literally see them? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. couldn't see out of the eye. Oh, you it's, couldn't see, yeah. It started getting more and more um, um, blurry and... Um, light um, uh, really uh, caused a kind of a uh, glow in okay. the eye you couldn't see. And in both eyes? Well, you know, it was really bad in my right eye. And, uh, you know, I went to an, well, I, won't, I don't want to say anything derogatory, but I, I went to an ophthalmologist and he couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And he, he said, no, your eyes are fine. And I'm like, no, they're not. I can't see out of my one eye. So I went to an optometrist. Um, it's a place just over by Pine Center, and they immediately discovered you have a Crazy. pretty serious cataract yeah. because you can't see to the back of the eye if you can't see through a cataract. Wow. Anyway, they so I I went to I went and got operated on. They said, well, your other eye is starting to to develop a cataract too, not quite as quickly. So they thought, let's do them both at the same. Well. Were you right was there, there was there cataracts in your family? I don't know. I'm I, adopted, okay. so I don't know what my... Yeah, it's absolutely, you know, amazing with um, all the things that they can discover with your eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent for it. I've, I've been going to eye doctors, like I said, since I was uh, four years old, and I always had to get trotted down to Kamloops because we lived in <laughs> Cash Creek. And so I kind of identified with Marion's sister when they were talking about that story because neither one of my siblings had vision issues. So I always had to go for the trip once a year and have my vision checked and the one thing that I will say and I, I talk, talked with Marion when she was just leaving about it was um, I've always known as someone that was severely myopic that um, it means that our eyeballs are actually quite elongated they're not nice and round oh. like like a typical eyeball oh. and so what happens is is that uh, you have a little bit more of um, a risk with a retinal detachment because your eye is actually elongated so that's one thing I've always known which is why I'm very adamant about making sure that I get in for my appointments because they check that they look right inside and they can see where you're retina is and they can check the pressure of your eye all those wonderful things yeah. and um so i'm i just really really um you know people that don't that can see perfect i think it's one of those things you can see perfect so you don't think that there's anything wrong and so you may not be going in to have that check so please do definitely yeah. and you know if you think about it of all the doctors there are it's probably the least painful i mean when you go for an eye exam there's there's no pain no pain and yeah. then when i got the operation mm -hmm. i got lenses replaced there was no pain. I will tell you that when it comes to pain, um, when I alluded to when I had worn my contacts when I was in grade 11 and thought that it was just great to wear them all the time, um, I literally ripped like the corneas kind of off of my eyeballs. Well, you know, like it was, they were scarred. And I have actually had a child and I will tell you that the pain that I had as a 17 year old girl with that happening to my eyes was off the charts. It felt like I was having like hot pokers shoved into my eyes. Really? It was absolutely horrible. So yeah, protect your eyes folks because um, that is, it, it may think that you don't have a lot of feeling in an eyeball until you do have a lot of feeling in an eyeball. Wow, you know, yeah. when I was in Mexico, we were in Cozumel and we were going across on a ferry and <clears throat> we were having a churro and a piece of <laughs> sugar 
went into my eye and scratched my cornea. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't painful. It was annoying. Oh, it felt like almost like an eyelash it stuck in your like eye? It felt like there was something stuck mm-hmm. in my eye. I, c- I kept wanting to blink it out or yeah. I kept wanting to wash it out. And you couldn't. And it drove me nuts. I couldn't sleep. So finally, I went to a clinic in Mexico and it was a, it was absolutely first-rate, modern. Uh, they even brought in an optometrist from, I guess she was on the on the on her boat or whatnot, cruising. And um, <clears throat> once they put those numbing drops in my eye. Yes. Numbing drops are good. Yes. Yes. Oh. Well, I actually had, I had laser surgery. You were asking about that. Um, and it was, uh, it was life-changing for someone that was severely myopic to have uh, laser surgery. It was about 20 odd years ago. Easy now. And yeah, it was, I remember them telling me that afterwards, you know, you're going to feel it's like irritated, like an eyelash is in your eye. You might have a little bit of pain. Oh my gosh. It was like the worst. It was again, another really, really, really? bad pain. They had to take a lot off, I guess. That's, oh, I mean, I don't geez. know. That's, <laughs> they just take a lot off. It's supposed to be the dynam- dimension of a hair. I think mine was, you know, like a brick. I don't know, but yeah, I, I, it was it was life changing though. So anyway, there's, that's the whole thing about eyes. We talked lots about eyes today. Well, you know, and I kind of had to stop listening. I was in the lobby. I couldn't listen. You know, of all the the occupations as a doctor, yeah. You know, I could do um, proctology, no problem, or gynecology, or any of those things, but I could not be an eye doctor. So you doctor. didn't you didn't like hearing the stories about the eye injuries? Oh, it's, yes, it was so icky. Yeah, uh, there's just something about eyes that is. Uh, I couldn't even I couldn't even imagine putting contacts in my eyes, and I know millions of people do. No, but I just couldn't do that. Well, when you're 13 years old and you have glasses that are about as thick as a Coke bottle, and someone tells you that you could wear contact lenses, you make it work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> See no that. <laughs> all right, what else? What else is new with you? How are you enjoying uh, the commute coming in with uh, all this uh, crazy weather that we've had? Melting and snowing and freezing. And You're not snowed in yet? No, I actually hasn't been much of a commute at all. I've burrowed myself at home. And with the COVID thing and whatnot, I don't want to go out and I don't want to see people. Yeah, things have changed uh, mm-hmm. since the last time we spoke last Tuesday. Things have definitely changed um, for, the, for the worse, 100%. Um, so hopefully with uh, some modified behavior with everyone, if we can all get on board, we'll get those uh, numbers and get back to a flattening that really, really obnoxious curve that it happens to be right yeah, now. Yeah, just wear a mask. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty, it's mandatory now everywhere. And I will say that um, looking around, when you're driving around, it seems that a lot of people are putting them on as they're walking into stores and... Um, you know, but I think just modifying some behavior, working from home if you can, and um, keeping you know, your little bubbles. Keeping your bubbles. Yeah. yeah, I mean, somebody wrote a meme I think on Facebook that said, "If the worst oppression you ever had was to wear a mask, you've lived a pretty charmed life." Yeah, putting things in perspective, right? Exactly. I think that's that's that's. Th- but you know, I see more and more people actually complying to the to the mask, which is kind of odd because you see the numbers going up with more infections. But I've seen. In the last week or so, more and more people that wear masks and are being well. Unfortunately, I think it. Yeah, I think it is though the fact that um, you know that exponential rate that can happen. So once it takes hold, you know it doesn't just go one to one, right? It's like that whole. Wasn't there like a Breck ad for hair? It's like you tell one person and they tell one person <laughs> and so on and so on and yeah. so on and so it's it's adding up like crazy because then it's like four turns into 16 which turns into 64 and all the rest of it so exponential growth it does and i think that right now unfortunately in the hospital we're seeing numbers that we never saw even back in uh, march and april and so it is time i think to take a real sober 
look at things and to say that we have to, you know, really hunker down and and um, get this get this nipped in the bud. Right. You know, you, we were talking previously about commutes. If it, I, I'm not sure our general public know that we are moving, that we oh, yes. our, our new office is going to be downtown in the. Oh, I can't remember what the name of the building is. It was actually the, it was, it's like hub space. The hub space, right. And then it used to be like it was homework at one point and it was a Royal Bank before that. So it's a really cool little space right on the corner. Yes, right downtown where the action is so that, uh, you know, um, and part of the move, uh, I think for us, the benefit is that um, here we have like 14 steps to get up here. (laughs) So, you know, it was a little inconvenient for those that had disabilities and some of the elderly and whatnot. So now we've kind of eliminated that problem yeah. and we have, we're much more open to Very accessible. In all, very accessible. Let's talk about that a little bit more when we come back. Sure. The annual general meeting of the Prince George Council of Seniors <laughs> will be held today by Zoom. Pre-registration is required. For registration information, email info.pgcos at gmail.com. That's the annual general meeting for the Prince George Council of Seniors by Zoom, 1 o'clock today. Register by email to info.pgcos at gmail.com. A new public policy allows visitors to apply for a work permit without having to leave Canada. This temporary policy change benefits employers in Canada who continue to face difficulties finding the workers they need, as well as temporary residents who would like to contribute their labour and skills to Canada's recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Instructions for the process are available at Canada.ca. Click Immigration and Citizenship, followed by Work, then Get a Work Permit, and finally, Temporary Workers. The perspectives of Canadians matter. Help us shed light on discrimination. Take five minutes to participate in Statistics Canada's Experiences of Discrimination Crowdsource Survey. Visit statcan.gc.ca slash participate and click the Participate Now button. The results will benefit people and communities across Canada. The Grizzly Bear Foundation has launched a brand new podcast series. Grizzcast is hosted by Grizzly Bear Foundation Executive Director Nicholas Scapolati and features conversations with naturalists, guides, explorers, and more, uncovering their most intimate grizzly bear stories and delving into what conservation means to them. A new episode of the Grizzcast will be released on the first Monday of each month. The Grizzly Bear Foundation's Grizzcast, available through the Grizzcast link at grizzlybearfoundation.com. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. So as Wayne was talking before we went to break, this is actually my last show in this studio. Yes. Because we will be at the new studio for next Tuesday. Yes. Uh, Hopefully it will be in working order by next Tuesday. Well, everything has to basically (laughs) get out of here this week. And get, I mean, it's not necessarily all the desks and everything that would be a problem, but we have to make sure everything's like wired back up again. Right. Or we won't be live. Right. But it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Reg has been hard at it. He's, he's doing, I think, 18-hour days, so we'll, we'll get her done. It'll be really exciting, I think, to be in that space because it is really open. Um, it's, like you said, very accessible, uh, kind of right in the thick of things. And, you know, the parking will be better. And back here. We got lots of construction happening here. Well, that's the thing. There is the noise and then the accessibility. Those are really the only two reasons that, uh, the, uh, the, uh, well, and it's nice to be right in the heart of the Prince George, but 
for this space that we're in right now, the only, there are only two downsides were the fact that mm -hmm. it was noisy and that accessibility. Otherwise, you know, this is a great space that we are here, but, you know, it just made sense for us to move um, when we could because this construction is not going to end. No, in this the next is a month. huge development. It's yeah. been going on uh, for the last, God, a year? Mm -hmm. easy yeah. from the time they broke ground and so every time we show up there seems to be uh, more and more things that are being um, dug up and built in and uh, you know sometimes we hear a lot of a lot of banging and everything else going on but exactly when we were here we had the people just outside the window <laughs> and we're on the second floor but they were outside the window which was great <laughs> Yeah. Not something you see every day. Yeah, it's bizarre. But anyway, as I was saying, for me, the commute will be much easier because I just have to whip down First Avenue mm -hmm. now and uh, a couple blocks in and I'm at the at the radio station. So well, I think, for me. I think the commute is an interesting one because uh, we live similar out, out by the airport region. Right. And, you know, at first, I think you feel... Like, it's such a long way away. And people that want to come and say, oh, I don't want to go all the way out there. You live so far away. And I can clock basically about a 12-minute to get into town. Yeah. Right? So, it's really not that bad. As a matter of fact, I think if you were up in the Westgate area, you would be 12 to 15 for sure because of all the lights. So, it, I think it's just a little bit of... Um, it's a bit of a different mentality because you are not necessarily see like you just are on the highway. Yes. Right? And you don't have lots of stop signs and you're looking at my hands. I'm a hand on yes. got my hands flying around Italian talking. To you. In her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's you'll probably get uh, used to it and not even feel that you're you're actually commuting that much. Yeah, I don't know what it is. In my head, I time stuff. So when I was leaving my house, I went down Blackburn, took four minutes. Mm -hmm. And then I got on the highway and it took six minutes to get down to First Avenue. And right. The, so 10 minutes, I'm, I'm at the, I would be at the new location. So, and I always say to my wife, I'm going to town. Yes, yes. Like going I'm not to town. in Are town. Are you going to town? I'm not coming into town today. So yes, I'm going into town. <laughs> <laughs> so pack up the mule. Now, the one thing I think that we've talked about before was um, the two different ways of coming in. So, yes, going, going down first definitely is a really quick way. One thing I find is I'm not really understanding why there's no lights I know that's that your way. pet peeve. It is There's a pet no peeve. Did I already say this on air? You have. And, and, and I agree. We should say it again. Okay. Why there are no lights. From the prison up. Exactly. It is so dark. Half the time when you get really bad weather, you can't even make out the road. Oh, when it's a blizzard. Yeah. yeah. It, it, and the, the snow tends to blow off of the sides. So there isn't, there's rarely two lanes. And there's a big drop off if you get it wrong <laughs> well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so i've mentioned it twice i will not mention it again no, unless it I comes don't. up in conversation then no I will no probably go ahead, pet go ahead. maybe again. the city will think you know maybe we do need to put lights there to, to shut if any, anyone from the city is listening <laughs> yes. let's put some lights up yeah some glow sticks or something well you'd think so and in the last couple of days there's been a couple of deer that have been hit oh right dear. in that spot oh dear Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, that not only is it dangerous for the deer, but it's dangerous for the drivers too, right? Yeah. Again, I can see that happening. Last night it was foggy because there's mm -hmm. a lot of fog in that area so too. Much. And it was snowing, so it was a sleet, so it was a pretty thick snow. And it was dark 
uh, deer comes out, you're not going to see that in time yeah. coming down that hill. So, Hey, one thing I was just thinking that I should probably mention is just, um, just to allude to the fact that with the new provincial health orders, uh, last week we were talking about the different play reads that were happening. Those are postponed, obviously, at this point um, until we find out on the 7th where everything is going. So... Um, you know, that type of, uh, those kind of things have unfortunately stopped and uh, hopefully we can get back to uh, doing that kind of stuff again. Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess the light at the end of the tunnel is that the vaccines are on their way and that uh, the trials that they have done have been relatively successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, although one of them, there was some half dose and then a full dose. Right. There was some discrepancy between yeah. how effective they were. And then one was um, the Pfizer one is has to be kept kept at a very, very, very cold temperature, like minus 70, which creates some problems for transportation and going into smaller or more remote areas. Oh. The Moderna apparently can just be kept at a regular um, like refrigerator type of a thing. And then there's one more that came out today. I cannot, or not yesterday, maybe. I can't remember the name of that one. And that one's also proving to be promising. So, um, but what it, I think what it means, though, is that regardless of that, we're still where we are right now. And so it's doing all of those things that we can. Right. You know, the one thing that I thought was interesting is my, our, our doctor we were talking to mentioned the fact that because people were wearing masks, and maybe not everybody, but there are a lot, a, a large portion of the population was wearing masks, and that we were social distancing, that the flu hasn't mm. been as prevalent. The regular flu. Yeah. Yeah. That those measures have actually curbed the flu Yeah, I saw a stat too. on that one. They actually had had, had like a, a chart yeah. well, of what of that was. I believe so, too. Yeah. You know, you're doing all the sanitizing, wiping down everything? Yeah, you know, you think about... Um, you say a year ago or two years ago, if you had, if you weren't feeling well, what did you do? You probably still went to work because you couldn't not go to work. Right. You didn't wear a mask. Um, right. You know, hopefully you were washing your hands. But I think with more um, public awareness, I think that definitely is nipping that in the bud. Definitely. Yeah. And like you said, the sanitizer. Oh, just. I mean, I've used so much sanitizer that when I go to the bathroom, I clean my toilets. So. See, now they've got a shortage of sanitizer. <laughs> All righty. Well, on that note, we will see you next week. (laughs) Bye. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of the Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFIS-FM Prince George, proudly supported by community groups like the Heritage Free Presbyterian Church, 4020 Balsam Road.